Henry, the Program Associate of Ponars Eurasia. And with us today is Vyacheslav Morosov, a professor of EU-Russia studies at the University of Tartu. Vyacheslav, thank you so much for joining me for this Ponars podcast. In your memo, you and your co-authors say that Russia often identifies with the peasant in his opposition to the master. Does this mean that Russia has some sort of peasant or rural identity? I would say yes and no. As any identity, Russia's identity is split and it has multiple dimensions. And the peasant dimension, the rural dimension is very important because of course uh, it, can, it is connected with the metaphors of homecoming, with going back to your roots and so on. But at the same time, of course, the dominant identity in Russia is urban. It, 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 it's uh, modern, it's about civilization, it's about progress, it's about economic development, cultural development, and so on. And in, in, in some respects, I would say that the contemporary Russian society defines itself against the peasant, against the, the peasant background, uh, against uh, the past, the backwardness, and so on, which is often associated with rurality, with... Uh, um, sort of peasant past uh, and so on. But at the same time, we should also appreciate the fact that Russia in today's world feels as a sort of uh, weaker player, as someone who is in a weaker position against the West. Uh, the West is obviously more powerful, it's more central, it has all the economic power and a lot of military power, a lot of geopolitical influence and so on. So. Russia would also uh, sometimes position itself as a challenger to the master. And this is where this peasant identity comes, uh, comes to the fore and becomes, uh, becomes sort of exploited, be, 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 turned, is turned into a resource. And in, in, in this case, Russia would often uh, play this game with the West of uh, challenging uh, the West as a peasant would challenge the master. Uh, sometimes playing tricks uh, with the West, sometimes uh, engaging in outright deception, manipulation, and so on. Uh, this sort of nod and wink um, attitude, which uh, I think can be associated more generally, speaking about cultural archetypes, with the figure of the trickster, the, 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 the weaker player who at the same time is able to trick the master, the more powerful player. Would you say that this identification with the peasant explains Russia's recent foreign policy action? It doesn't that much explain it because, of course, uh, in, in, when we're looking for explanations, we need to uh, talk about more specific circumstances of each particular case. So why did Russia annex Crimea, for instance? There are multiple factors. Uh, of course, there is a certain historical memories and so on, but the more immediate reasons for that were were just the fear of possible NATO expansion into Ukraine, the, the fear of pu being pushing ba pushed back generally ge in, in geopolitical terms. But I think what we need to appreciate is that this peasant identity, this trickster uh, figure, or, 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 or being able to act as a trickster, is a foreign policy resource, which uh, policymakers often consciously or subconsciously use in First of all, in addressing the domestic audience, because they know from experience that doing that, uh, uh, showing uh, that in, in, in a very subtle way, showing that you are able to trick the Western master 
is popular with at least parts of the audience, with, uh, with, with a part of the Russian society. And uh, uh, this is where uh, uh, it, it comes not as an explanation, but as an additional sort of background for potential explanations. What it explains actually is how it's possible that you, you, you play tricks and you, uh, you're, you, you're, still, you're still popular as a politician. Well, I mean, normally we expect politicians to be honest, but uh, not if the, this politician, as the national representative, is dealing with the powerful outside player. If this trickster behavior draws on such powerful cultural resources, does this mean that the current foreign policy line is likely to continue unchanged? Uh, in the in the nearest future, yes, I think it it, it it is likely to continue unchanged, and I think that uh, the 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 most important limiting factors here are definitely the budgetary factors, uh, the price of oil, which is growing, but at the same time, of course, we see from the whole story of the pension reform that there is there, there are limitations on how much uh, the current government can achieve and how much it can do. Uh, in terms in terms of military spending, for instance, which is I think continues to be one of the top priorities, uh, so they, they they feel like they have to cut on 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 on, uh, on the social spending on on the pensions, for instance. At the same time, uh, I think that the cultural factors are there as in, in the background, but they uh, these cultural resources which I'm talking about can be deployed in multiple different ways. And uh, in principle, I do not exclude the possibility of uh, Russian identity being reconfigured to fit a new policy course, because Russian identity is also uh, extremely Eurocentric. Russia always looks at Europe in, in the European mirror to define what it is. And even the conservatives, they, they also do the same. They, uh, in, in, in their, for instance, promotion of the so-called traditional values, family values, and so on. What they do is, looking at Europe, they have some image of Europe in their heads, sometimes it's very distorted, but then they say, okay, we are not like that, we want to be different, so we will do otherwise, we will do the opposite. So if um, they think that Europe welcomes uh, gay people, then Russia would be homophobic in its, in its attitudes. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and it applies to a number of other, other, other things. So um, it's, um, it's this mirror image of Europe, but at the same time, of course, it's still identification with or against, but still it's, it's, it's centered on Europe. This is the most important point. So I think if there is a need, if there's a pragmatic need, if there is a, there is a possibility for a deal, uh, with the West, with the European Union, with the United States, there will be cultural resources for reconfiguring the domestic space and for using the, not, not necessarily using, but for uh, uh, reconfiguring the, the identity discourses in such a way that they would fit the, uh, 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 the pragmatic policy priorities. Fascinating. Thank you so much for joining me for this podcast. Thank you for the invitation.